welcome to Right Now Workshop Podcast, where you can write a book and change the world. I'm your host, Kitty Buholtz, and this is episode 212, Moving from the Big Five to Indie, an interview with Roxanne St. Clair, coming to you on Thursday, September 24th, 2020. I had so much fun talking to Rocky about publishing, writing, and growing your writing business. She is a fabulous wealth of information and a terrific resource. Um, this might be an interview that you listen to more than once. You never know. Uh, there was one book, however, that Rocky and I were both like, yeah, the book that, and uh, yeah, what's the title? We couldn't remember any of it. And sure enough, it was on the bookshelf behind me. It is called The Naked Truth About Self-Publishing. So the first edition came out in 2013, and that's the paperback that I have. But it turns out that there was also a second edition that came out in 2015. And a few days ago when I was getting this podcast ready, that uh, book was free on Kindle. So if you go to Amazon and possibly the other stores, I don't know for sure. Um, and th this was on Monday, so I have no idea if it's still free on Thursday or if it was just temporarily on sale and I happened to catch it on the right day. But che check it out, The Naked Truth About Self-Publishing. I think there are 10 authors um, who have all had fabulous independent publishing careers and they talk about all sorts of different pieces of the process, um, basically the process of building a business for yourself. Now, I believe that they are all located in the United States, so it is US-centric when it comes to like the kind of business that you might choose and ways that you would do your accounting and that sort of thing, but I think that you can still use you know, 90, 95% of the information um, straight off the page or taking the way that they're describing something that you would choose in the U.S. and figuring out how you would choose it in the uh, country that you live in. So for instance, I live in Sweden now. And um, so one of the options is sole proprietor. And in Sweden, they have sole proprietor, <laughs> et cetera. So there, there is a lot of crossover that I think will still be um, make the book completely fabulously helpful for you. Keep in mind, things change very fast in publishing, uh, especially the last 20 years. They've been changing very quickly. So while the second edition came out in 2015, I'm sure that there is probably at least a couple of little things that are... Um, you know, not quite uh, the way that we would do things now in 2020. Maybe something big in it as well. I don't know. But uh, just keep in mind, this is a really good book, uh, a great resource because of how many people um, are bringing their successful careers and the information they've gathered from their careers, as well as the fact that several of the authors are giving you information that also came from their previous career. So one person used to be a CFO. So she's talking about business um, types and, and like the legal aspects, how you would uh, formulate your company, form your com company, uh, that sort of thing, because she also used to be a CFO. So she has a lot of understanding of the business and financial uh, arenas in business. Feel like I'm repeating myself there. <laughs> uh, another person uh, had a marketing career before she got into self-publishing, so um, she was able to bring that crossover of information to you. Anyway, 
Great book. That's the one that Rocky and I were both talking about. Neither one of us could think of the name of the book. So there you go. I wanted to make sure I didn't forget to tell you. Check it out on um, your favorite e-reader, uh, whichever store that you buy e-books from, and see whether or not it's free on that store for you, The Naked Truth About Self-Publishing. And uh, at the time that I bought the uh, paperback version, the author name was The Indie Voice, and that's because there were 10 authors. But it's possible that um, the first author is the one that you will see when you're searching so that you know yes this is the book uh, in this case the author the first author listed is Jana de Leon so J-A-N-A -A, and then last name is D-E-L-E-O-N don't know if I'm saying her last name right but <laughs> anyway so I had to tell you that also finish your book my intensive coaching program we finished it, it went so well. I was so super excited for my students because they did such a great job. And, uh, and I was just excited to be teaching it. I wanted to make sure that I only teach classes that I love to teach, that I'm so excited about, that I give you more time, more information, <laughs> try to help you even more than what I promise. Because, uh, you know, you've had, you've had classes somewhere along the line, maybe a lot of them, where you're like, that teacher is okay, but they don't seem very passionate about the subject. Like maybe they're just tired of teaching and I don't want to be that person. <laughs> so if I can't be super excited about the class, like I'm just not going to host it until I'm super excited about it again. In this particular case, Finish Your Book got me very, very excited to be helping people to finish their book. And so I'm going to hold it again. It will, the next class will start on October 12th. So I wanted to tell you a little bit about it so you could decide whether or not this is possibly something for you. It's an eight-week class. We meet twice a week for teaching, Q&A, brainstorming, me bringing you a lot of information that is directly about how you can finish the book that you've started or how you can best get a lot more done more quickly on a book that you're now starting. So I had um, one person who had been working on a fantasy novel for the last 22 years and she finished it the last week of class. I just wanted to hug her, but <laughs> I'm in another country and you know, we can't hug. But besides that, I was so, so, so excited for her. Uh, one of the other students, uh, he started a second book of nonfiction and due to COVID and kids at home and, you know, just stuff. Um, his goal was to write two chapters of the new nonfiction book during the two-month period. He wrote five chapters. He was, I think, a little blown away <laughs> at how well everything was coming together for him. And this is the kind of exciting response that I want to help you with. Now, it's not 100%. It's not guaranteed. It's based on so many factors. I mean, some people have more time because of this pandemic. Some people have less time. Um, if we lock down again, you may end up with more or less time. One of my other students, uh, she was unemployed and excited to start the class at the beginning, and then she picked up a job in the middle. <laughs> and so she ended up uh, being able to work on her book less, but still got far more done on it than she had been able to uh, get done before when it was just her and no reason to have any particular deadlines. You know how it is. I'm the same way. If I don't have some sort of even artificial deadline, line for myself. It could take me forever to finish a project. And that's part of the reason why I wanted to hold this program. 
So if you're interested in more information about um, the details and also just to give you some tips, um, just, you know, don't have to join the class. Just want to give you some tips that could help you to start, finish, publish your book. Uh, and keeping in mind, too, that the class is not aimed just at self-publishing your book, though um, in this last class, all of these people are more interested in self-publishing than traditional publishing. But I do give information, too, about things that you need to do if you're leaning towards the traditional publishing side, like these are some things that you need to work on to get ready for ways that you can brainstorm and look for agents and publishing companies that publish the kind of work that you're doing, that sort of thing. So I do cover both sides just so that um, everybody has an equal chance to make a decision that works for them at that time. Um, but what I'm going to do is hold several webinars. So this is 100% free, about an hour. I'll uh, explain the program, give you a lot of tips for things that you can do to start and finish your next book or the book that you've been working on for a little while. And I really want to make sure that you feel like you know me, like I could really work with her. Like she seems cool. I like her energy. I like her enthusiasm. I'm a big encourager. That's a huge part of just who I am as a person. And it's a big part of what works so well in this program because, you know, the times that you have people cheerleading for you and giving you a solid advice and then celebrating you when you take the advice and things work out. Um, this is part of what I'm doing in this program, in the Finish Your Book program. So I want to explain about it and also give you tips because if you're like, well, I want the tips, but this doesn't really sound like something that I would be interested in, then I still want you to have some ideas on how you can continue on your own. So I'm going to have probably four webinars over the next couple of weeks because the class, again, starts on Monday, October 12th. So the first one is actually going to be today. So if you're listening to this right when it comes out, this is uh, Thursday, September 24th, and the first webinar will be at 10 a.m. Eastern, 7 a.m. Pacific. That's 3 p.m. in London and 4 p.m. here in Malmo, where I live, and midnight in Sydney. So if you have time, like the you look at your watch and it's not that time yet, uh, go on over to rightnowworkshop.com forward slash webinar. And you can go ahead and sign up. You can sign up for um, the one today or any of the other ones that are listed there that are going to be coming up. Um, the next one after that will be Tuesday, the 29th. So that's next Tuesday. That one will be a little bit earlier so that um, it's, I'm trying to get, make times that uh, work out more or less for everybody <laughs> wherever you are in the world. So on Tuesday, September 29th, it'll be at 8 a.m. Eastern, 5 a.m. Pacific, 1 p.m. in London, 2 p.m. in Sweden, in that area of the country of the world, and uh, 10 p.m. in Sydney. So that one I chose partially so that uh, people in Australia wouldn't have to stay up until <laughs> the middle of the night. <laughs> Uh, and then there'll be some more. It'll all be listed out on rightnowworkshop.com forward slash webinar. So feel free to sign up, tell your friends. Uh, it's totally free. Um, and then if you are having any other questions, just reach out to me. You can email me at kitty at kittybuholtz.com. Um, and there, I'm almost positive I have a uh, contact page on that rightnowworkshop.com. So you can also use that. Okay. Um, also, if you're more interested in private coaching, uh, if you're 
there is a half an hour every other week of a private coaching call in the Finish Your Book intensive program intensive coaching program. Um, so every other week, 30 minutes, just you and me working out um, solutions to your problems and challenges. But if you would rather have just 100% one-on-one coaching, then um, I also do that. Uh, and that would be completely you and me. And um, there's packages depending on how much time that you would like to um, put into it or uh, if you have a certain deadline, a goal that you're trying to reach, that sort of thing. And you can get more information and reach out to me also at rightnowworkshop.com forward slash writing coach. So because this is very uh, individual and I want to make sure that everybody gets what they need to finish their projects, that is my goal for you to finish your book and get it out, whether it's independently published or get it out to uh, traditional agents and editors. Um, I want to make sure that you're getting all the time and attention that you need to do those things. So there is a limit to how many um, people are um, are going to be in the class like the class will be no more than 10 people possibly smaller and then the one-on-one -on -one coaching individual private coaching um, there's going to be a limit to how many coaching clients I'll have because I want to make sure that I have plenty of time to give to everybody so if you're interested you know how to reach me in the meantime you are going to learn so much today from Rocky she is fabulous I don't think that I have had anybody on the show who isn't fabulous and uh, she has so much information in her head. She and I could have talked for hours and I know that I'm going to have her on the show again because there's just so much more that she could uh, teach you and help you with. But today she's going to give you um, her reasoning and her overview of how she moved from completely traditionally published and a very good career. She was very well known and a best-selling author, um, but decided that there was some really good reasons to move to completely independent publishing, which she does now. Uh, she also talks about uh, writing series and things that she learned both good and bad about writing her various series. So I'm going to stop talking and let her start talking. You are going to love this interview. I hope you have a great time. Get some writing done this week and we'll talk to you next week. Today's guest is Roxanne St. Clair. Published since 2003, Roxanne is a New York Times and USA Today best-selling author of nearly 60 romance and suspense novels. She has written several popular series, including The Dog Father, The Dog Mothers, Barefoot Bay, The Guardian Angelinos, and The Bullet Catchers. Several of her books have been optioned for film, and many have been translated into dozens of languages. In addition to being a 10-time nominee and one-time winner of the prestigious Rita Award for the Best in Romance Writing, Roxanne has won the National Reader's Choice Award four times, as well as dozens of other writing and industry awards. A frequent and popular national speaker on the subject of writing and the writer's life, Roxanne is a graduate of UCLA, a mother of two, and recent empty nester. She lives on the east coast of Florida with her husband and two dogs. Welcome, Rocky. Thank you, Kitty. It's great to be here. It's fun to have you. I was so excited yeah. when Lee was like, uh, Lee Duncan, who was just on the show a couple of weeks ago, was like, oh yeah, look, you should definitely talk to my friend Roxanne St. Clair. I'm like, hey, I've met her. <laughs> small, small writing world. Isn't yes, it? Lee's, Lee, I am in Lee's um, wonderful little group, our, oh, the writer's camp. I know she talked to you about it on her, on her podcast. I, mm -hmm. um, 
moved a few years ago, so I don't get to see them quite as frequently as, as we Aww. used to, but times being what they are, they're not meeting anyway. But yes, That's we true. are we are co-writers in that we have written probably 25 books each in the same room without you know no crossover in the actual writing but we do write yeah. a lot together it's a great it's a great way to, to be productive and to lose the uh the loneliness factor of writing yeah. you can find someone else to write because it is a really lonely job let's be honest it's you yeah. and your imaginary friends yeah. <laughs> which can be fun sometimes it, oh it's a great fun i mean <laughs> don't get me wrong it's my you know dream career and i'm thrilled to have it but it's um you know, it can, at the end of the day, when you've been alone all day, you're, I think, somehow even more exhausted from a day yeah. of writing. When you're with friends writing, we found that we were energized at the end of the day, which was That's a great awesome. way. I have to say, yeah, the way that you guys have explained the group, I'm thinking that sounds so cool. And it's like right in the middle between the two things that aren't really working for me, which is um, going to a cafe. It's too loud and it's too much. It's too much stimulation. Uh, or if I turn on Netflix, even if I turn the sound off, like I just find myself still like I need something, but but something quiet. And I'm thinking, yeah. oh my gosh, friends mm -hmm. writing in the same room. How fun. The clicky clack of keys and everyone writing. And it's a, it's a, it, but I have to tell you, and I, I apologize to anyone who hasn't heard that podcast because we're talking about it like they know, but it's yeah. you know, a group of, of three or four people sitting around a dining room table and all of us writing with, usually with headsets in. Um, it's, it's, uh, it's just the most the most productivity I've ever experienced in writing, but it is not easy. It's not magic that you can find anywhere. It took these four particular personalities. Yeah, uh, I have tried um, and people's schedules are, you know, limit their time or people think it's okay to talk, which it's not. You don't want to be rude, but you're like, shut up. I'm writing. I'm in the middle of the scene. Um, people eat loudly. <laughs> You, we had a, it, it was really lightning in a bottle and I'm sorry that I had to move away and break oh. the group, but it was, it was a wonderful 10 year run. Wow. But before we started, you said that you're actually going to be able to see at least Lee, I don't know, some of the others next week. This week is Nick. We're here while this is airing. We'll That's actually right. be, this we're, week. We're, the moment this airs, we are at a very small Novelist Inc. conference on the beach. Uh, which has always for me been a combination of a writing retreat and uh, a learning experience and a networking experience. I, I, I get that the networking is going to be down this year due to COVID, but um, it's still it's still the best writers organization I've ever been associated with. Wow. It's of the conference is beachfront. Literally, you walk out of your, you, you, and we get a little suite, the group of us together, and it's waterfront. You know, you step outside on the balcony, you're looking at the waves, and it's very, very inspiring to do a lot of writing. And we, um, we often brainstorm deep into the night, and it's just, it's a great week. And I couldn't resist it because I live in Florida, so I have the ability to drive there without flying. And I think right. um, I, I might have not been as anxious to go to, to the NINC conference if I had to get on a plane. So we really understand the low numbers, but yeah, it's still a great conference. Oh, that sounds so nice. Now you're making me miss, uh, there was, there was a moment, like you said, one of those lightning in a bottle moments in time when my friend Lorraine Snelling lived here. I lived here. Our friend Kathleen Dampright lived here and, um, all three of us could drive to Las Vegas, share a suite, 
And we just did that. Yeah. Put on the earphones. Everybody writes. Can't talk until yes. lunch. Yeah. That's oh. it. Can't talk till lunch. <laughs> thousand, if you didn't write a thousand words, you don't get to eat. <laughs> so great. I think I'm going to like set up some stuffed animals or something and like see if I can find my Alpha Smart or my old laptop and see if I can make a pretend version of yes, it. Yes. There you go. You <laughs> stuffed animals. You need dogs. They help. <laughs> oh, I totally want that. Okay, speaking of dogs, let's yes. segue more into writing. All right, yes. so you have, first of all, um, a very cute little dog at your feet and a lot of dogs in books. Tell us the, the short version. We're going to talk about transitioning from traditional publishing to self-publishing. Um, Rocky has got some great experience with this, and I'm super excited to have people hear kind of the whole journey, but we're going to have to do it in, uh, in kind of nutshells. So sure. give us the nutshell of how you got started and got to, I sold my first book to a traditional publisher. I did. I sold my first book. I started um, in, I think I wrote my first manuscript in 1999, got an agent in 2000, 2001. So we're back there. Uh, the, my very first manuscript didn't sell. My second one did to Simon & Schuster. And uh, I remember that when the phone call came in, I, my, I had a, a very little boy who is now an attorney, 27 years old. <laughs> he was wow. very little at the time. Uh, so, and I remember after I got off the phone, I walked into, he, he was playing video games. I walked in and I said, no, you're not gonna bark. I said, um, how did I, I said, I, 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 you're not going to believe what just happened to me. And he said, you got drafted by the Yankees. And I oh. said, yes, I actually did because I sold to Simon and Schuster. Yeah. And I, I, that was starting off at, you know, a, a pinnacle. I was, yeah. this was, this was a dream. And I, and I was very, very excited. It was a, their pocketbooks imprint and they bought my first book for, um, and, 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 and then second, third, fourth. And I also, then I, sort of rolled over and started writing for Harlequin because they couldn't, Simon and Schuster would only publish one book a year. And obviously I could write more than one book a year. Yeah. And thus began um, 30 some books sold to Pocket. I was with them for quite a long time, Harlequin. I did a few young adults for Random House. I wrote, then I moved from uh, Simon and Schuster to Grand Central, which is an imprint of Hachette. I was immersed in traditional publishing. Yeah. And it was, um, and I never lost that feeling of I'm playing for the Yankees. And, you know, it was, it was, uh, it was a thrill and it was a challenge. And it was, uh, it, there were, you know, there were many, many, many upsides that came with the cachet of writing for a traditional publisher in New yeah. York, yeah. you know, and I get that people want to do that. And, and I get that even today, although I've do believe the stigma has has disappeared. Uh, there's there's a you know that's that means I made it. I got through that gatekeeper, and they love my work, and they see, you know, a hundred thousand manuscripts a year, and they picked mine, and I can walk into a bookstore, and there's my book on the shelf, and I can look at it, and I'm sitting right there, you know, just past Nora Roberts, and you know before you know, I get that. Um, but with all that came tremendous challenges. And for me, they were challenges that, um, well, I just, I just, I, I, I don't want to, I don't want to dis 
traditional publishing. I yeah, get thanks for that. I get that people really want it and it has a lot to offer. It taught me how to write a book, not only how to write a book, much of that is organic. And I had, I had some really good editors along the way and I, I, I give them all the credit in the world. But what I learned in traditional publishing is the process from the moment you have an idea to the day the book is on the shelf. Yeah. And that is not an easy process. There are so many points along the spectrum of writing a first draft and uh, a content or development edit, and then a, a, a revision, and what's involved in a revision, and then what's involved in a copy edit, and then what's involved in the proofing. And after the proofing, when the cover gets designed, and at what point does the, what, what about the cover? How does that cover sell books from, you know, and then, how does it mark? How do you market it? And how do you package it? And how do you brand it? And how do you produce it? And how do you get it out the door? Yeah. Having done that 30 times is a huge advantage. And many people, when you go from traditional to indie, and many people, um, when I went indie, and uh, I think my first indie book came out the last month of 2013, but I technically went indie in 2014. Is I, I think I, I, the, the dates blur because yeah. I have I have since written more books indie since 2014 than I wrote from 2003 to then. I have written wow. over 30 indie because I can put out three or four a year. I am right. no limitation on my time except my limitation. So um, when I when I'm, I lost my train of thought there when I when I made the the tra transition to 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 indie. I, lots of people said, oh, of course you were successful. You were already had hit the New York Times. You were already a well-known author. Um, I, oh, that is not true. That is just not true. Because when I got successful with indie, I reached an entirely new audience. And I continued to reach an entirely new audience. A book didn't die four weeks after it was on the shelf. So what the advantage I had was understanding the publication process because I then could replicate it for myself. And I think the hardest thing today for people who don't have the traditional background is they don't really know how to replicate that. They right. don't really understand that there is a process. You might be able to squeeze it down into weeks or months. It doesn't necessarily have to take 18 months like it does in New York, but you need to understand what that process is. And that's where that is the distinct advantage I had from going with from a multi publisher background to an indie career. Wow. Yeah. And it's not something that um, I, if somebody is doing it, I'm just not aware of them. I haven't seen uh, somebody who had the kind of career that you had traditionally create like a course or a book that was step one, two, three, four. Uh, partially because um, it's not quite as easy as step one, two, three, four, but. Yeah, they're out there. You know, there, I don't know if there's a book. It, there are books out there. Um, Let's Get Digital was sort of the first one right. that came out. And um, I'm trying to think of, if, of a, there, there are, there are, I think, some out there, but there's a wealth of information on how to do it. But in, in an organized fashion, um, it's, I probably could write a book, but I'd rather write my book, but I right. probably could write a book about it. Um, I do give a workshop on it and I've given ah. the workshop with um, Kristen Painter, who is incredibly successful indie author, who also came like me right around the same time. She's about a year behind me. Um, just 
has killed it in Indy. And um, the two of us do a workshop. We've presented it frequently. We call it From, from Midlist to Mad Money. Um, <laughs> and it's basically a one-year plan for how you, how yeah. you do, how you can go from zero to wherever you want to go in one year. And I replicated that plan with my daughter, Breezy Bennett, who just launched last year. She's just coming up. Her sixth book just came out. Wow. Um, and she came out of the gate at ground zero, didn't ever consider, she, she graduated from college and said, you know, I want to write, I want to write like you do. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> um, and she did, and she's done very well. And she's starting her second series. And obviously she had a great advantage with having me mentor her and help her. She never for one second considered an agent or New York. Yeah. It wasn't. And, and let me tell you, she's, supporting herself easily on what she's made in her first year because she sort of, she, she never, she followed my plan. I said, this is what you do. So I probably should put that in the book, but <laughs> it's, uh, and, and I'm happy to kind of nutshell that out today for, for your listeners uh, and viewers, but it's, um, it, it, it does help to understand the process of yep. what it takes to publish a book because it isn't just write it, knock it out put it up on Amazon and start cashing checks. It is not, that's not how it works. Yeah. Yeah. I've started um, coaching writers in the last couple of years and it's, uh, it's tricky. You don't want to, um, you don't want to discourage anyone and you don't want to sound like you're disrespecting their work, but there's usually everyone that I work with, there's a lot more that needs to be done than they realize that needs to be done in order to make it, you know, the best possible that, Kitty, that is step one that, you know, when you start, when you start writing a, for New York, the first thing you learn is they're going to make you redo everything and they're going to make you revise and they're going to make you change everything down to the character's name. And the, I feel one of my great reasons I've been successful in indie is I would far rather revise than write. I love to revise. I will not put out a book that isn't the best possible book it can be. And I go through multiple rounds of edits. I have a content and development editor. I have pretty critical beta readers. I have a killer copy editor and probably will go through beta one more time and then three times through proofing. That's just that's just man, from manuscript to getting it ready to, to be put into a format. Yeah. And a lot of people want to skip that step. And, you know, maybe you can, and maybe you're, you can write a book with one draft, but not very many people can. And that those books will ultimately die off because readers can sense that there isn't quality there. So the most yeah. important step, step one is write a really good book. And that's, so much easier said than done <laughs> so, yeah. and write a really good book that appeals to a specific market, you know, understand your market, understand who the readers are, understand what is a romance, what is a romantic suspense, what is sci-fi, what is whatever it is, whatever genre you're writing in, know it, read it, absorb it and understand what the expectations of the genre are. If you're right, if you're, you know, not doing literary fiction. Right, right. Then you can get into all the, how do I get up on Amazon and how do I start <laughs> making money and how do I brand myself and how do I do covers? It's a big, big job. Yeah. Um, and a lot of people just, I just want to write books. I don't want to do any of the other stuff. That indie stuff is not for me. And I get that. 
Um, but I personally want to make money. <laughs> so, <laughs> right. so I did not enter indie publishing for the joy of writing. Um, I love my job. I love writing, but I, well, we'll back up a little bit. And this is kind of what happened to me in the transition period. Yeah. Let's talk so, about that. So your readers can understand. I was having, I was definitely enjoying a, um, a, a successful career in as much as, I don't know, I don't know how you want to define that. Everyone's definition of success is different. I was certainly had some name recognition. I was about to sign a three book contract. That was the biggest three book contract I'd ever done. Uh, it was, so I was fairly pleased with the numbers and um, I, had launched a new, I had switched genres from romantic suspense to contemporary romance because it was getting hot and that's what they wanted. You know, they were kind of like well, romantic suspense is dying. So you have to do what the publishers tell you they know is hot and what's going on. Yeah. What I have since learned is there's, and, and I knew it then, there's a very big disconnect between the offices in New York and the person reading in, you know, Indiana. Yeah. There's a big disconnect there. They don't really, they are, they are going, the, the New York uh, publishers are, are making their decisions based on what distributors and booksellers are telling them. In indie now, I make my decisions, many of them, based on what my 3,000 readers that are hardcore fans in my reader group are telling me. And I believe that's a big difference. Yeah. But, but I had switched genres at their request, and I had done very well with my first uh, Barefoot Bay four books and they wanted to continue them and they um made it they, they made a great offer and there was an element there was an aspect of the contract that i was really uncomfortable with it was very very negative for an author i can go if you want me to go into the detail of what it is people can watch for it in their contracts if, if it's, it's not something it's, you're uncomfortable sharing oh no I'm, i've been very public with it it's it's what they called um joint accounting or basket accounting uh, and basically what they're saying is we're going to give you these three books the advances on each of these three books book one book two book three and when Book one earns out, you start earning royalties on that book. So whatever the, whatever you make the, whatever, when, when you reach the, let's use an arbitrary number, let's say it's, it's $25,000 for each book. And when that book earns $25,000, you start getting royalties. But in, with their basket and joint accounting, you can't have those royalties until all three books in the contract earn out. So I'm accruing royalties on book one. Book three isn't coming out for another six months, isn't coming out. So it might, not, it might be another 18 months till that earns out. That's three years they're sitting on my money. Yeah. So that was, that I, had, I really had an issue with that. I had a very high powered New York agent and I said, I started talking to people at RWA and they said, oh, I got that taken out. So I went back from an RWA uh, conference and I said to my agent, get that out before I sign it. And I had, I had given a verbal on this. I said, yes, but we had not, we had, they had just, they sat too long on the contract because they take some six months to do everything. Yeah. But did, I had never put ink on the page. And they refused to take it out because they said at a certain level, a certain at a certain um, high, uh, amount of money, which was high, much like I said, this was the biggest contract I'd ever had. Um, they will not take out basket accounting, and it went. We went back and forth and back and forth. Hmm. In the meantime, Bella Andre, 
uh, Barbara Freethy, Marie Forst. These women were people I knew well, especially Bella and Barbara were dear friends of mine. We were at Pocket at the same time at Simon & Schuster. We, you know, we, we knew each other well as up and coming writers. They were pouring the indie Kool-Aid down my throat and they yeah. were saying, you don't have to do this because look how much money you could make. And I said, well, how much money could I make? And they're like, well, look at your digital sales. And I looked at my digital sales and figure out if you were getting 70% of that money instead of 20, 25 or 21 or whatever ridiculous thing it was. And I could just, you know, even that math I could do. I mean, I'm not much of math, but we, and my husband and I sat down and we, and we, we ran the numbers and they kept saying, nope. And I just said, you know what, I'm going to, I'm going to say no to this contract. And Kitty, I thought I would throw up in the middle of the night. Yeah. I, I said no, because I had two kids, one in college, one going into college, oh, gosh, major breadwinner. Uh, you know, what am I doing? What am I doing? <laughs> yeah. So I said no to the contract and I woke up the next day and I sat down and I made myself a production schedule. And I figured out what every single step I had to do. I couldn't write a full length novel for until the, my last book had been out for six months contractually. So I wrote three novellas. I continued the series I was writing. I wrote them technically 40,000 words as a novella and they were 39,999. I got them out. By the time the third one came out, I had a plan for the three books that I was going to write for them. And all I can say is I've never looked back. I have now have probably 35 books published indie since that day. I'm on my third very successful series. I have a team of editors and proofreaders and an assistant and a publicist and every everything I need. They all work for me. I call all the shots. When I decided I wanted to write older characters, Silver Foxes, no one else was doing it. And I knew from my readers that they loved when I did Silver Fox Friday. So I launched the Timeless series with older heroes. I put a, a silver haired man on the cover, and, which I know New York would never have let me done. They would have been like, yeah. well, he can be 42 and you can mention that in the back cover copy. But no, we can't. It won't sell if you put a silver. That is my number one selling book, that wow. series. When I have a, a book of... Uh, uh, what do they call them? Uh, a collection of all three Silver Fox titles in one, and it is boom number one every month. It's that is a popular book. I I, I just I just had a sense because I knew yeah. I know they would never have let me do that. And then I decided to launch a whole series about and put dogs on the cover of every book and make dogs central to the story. And now I can't go on Amazon and I don't see every other romance has a dog. And I'm like, hmm, imagine that. Um, Interesting. I, and, I, and, that, and I knew when to end that series. I know they would have either ended it too soon or ended it too late. I knew when to do a spinoff series. It's going great guns. And I, I learned a lot from my experience with New York, but I have the most tremendous amount of creative freedom that I've ever had. And I will be honest with you, the joy was going out of my writing when I wrote for New York. They were dragging out, they were just taking it out of me on every level, creatively, professionally, marketing-wise. It was like running into a brick wall and I almost quit. And I'm so glad I didn't because the indie career has been 
life-changing and forget. I mean, I'm uh, my first year, I made three times as much as I made my first, my biggest year of Man. writing for New York. And I have never looked back and I have never missed walking into a store and not seeing my book on the shelf because most of the time I would walk in and it wasn't there because the person at Barnes and Noble hadn't stocked it yet. Right. And I, you know, I see, I, I just, you know, I have a book coming out tomorrow. I'm so Yay. excited about it. <laughs> it, was a, it was a very, very challenging story, but yeah. I have such a great editorial team and readers. And I, I just, I am very, very happy. So for me, and I know for many other writers, moving out of New York and into my own little publishing company was the best thing, the best risk I've ever taken. So yeah. I'm, I am an evangelist about indie publishing. I, people come to me and they say, well, I just want the, the, um, you know, I want to be that I want the validation and I'm like, okay, well I want the money. So yeah. <laughs> And I mean, I, I say that with Kat, I, obviously I want to write beautiful, amazing books. And I don't think you can maintain a career in indie or uh, with New York if you don't write great books. It, they will yeah. eventually lose the readers. But um, I, it's just was a fantastic move for me. And, I'm, and I, love to, I love to encourage other writers to consider it. Um, I know many, many do, but I still think there are quite a few people who, who are of that mindset where that if you didn't sell to New York, you didn't really you're not really an author. Right. Well, that's right. not true. I'm here to say that's not true. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I think that those are some uh, important things to keep in mind that it's not just our industry. I'm sure that there are a ton of uh, AAA baseball players who are so mad that people don't think they're a real professional baseball player just because they're not in a major league team. Yeah. Good <laughs> analogy. Exactly. Um, and, and of course it, it is different because um, in this case, we're talking about people who might be called AAA, but are making a lot more money than some of the major league people. But anyway, aside from the money, like just looking at it as it's not just us, but um, I think it's important for everybody to, like you said, think about it, like take enough time to think about all the pros and cons. If what you really want more than anything in the world is the validation, then pursue it. But at some point, just keep in mind that you may be like, okay, that was great but it turns out that I'm not getting this or that, either the creativity or as many books as I can write or the money. And therefore I want to do something else. And it could be hybrid. They want to continue to do both or moving all the way over to indie like you did. So I, I think that it's great to um, encourage everyone to think about all of the options so that they're aware. And I have a couple of friends who they're, um, traditional only. And, um, and one of my friends, she's kind of closer to retirement age, and she's very happy to write one book a year, maybe two. She does worry about whether or not she's not going to get another contract, but she doesn't want the pressure of having to do all the work herself. So let's talk a little bit about the difference between it's a lot of work to be a traditional pub, uh, published author, but an entirely different amount of... And, kind of it's work. Just, it's, it's actually surprising how similar it was. New York, I mean, I'm, I guess unless you're, uh, you know, number one New York, New York Times bestselling author, and I actually have a, one of my closest friends in the world is a number one New York Times bestselling author, and she still has to do a lot of, you do your own yeah. marketing. You do your own marketing. What you, what you don't do is make decisions on the brand, on um, the covers, on the production schedule, on the release dates, and on, um, I mean, you can, 
you, you, all of that is in the hands of New York, where, and I do make those decisions. Um, I, I guess everything is relative. What is a lot of work? You know, I, I work full time. I work every day and usually one day on the weekends. I work more now that my kids have moved out and I have an empty nest than I did when they were younger. Um, I, I write about four, four to five hours a day that is nothing but writing. I try to do 2,500 words, 2,000, 3,000, somewhere. If I'm at the end of the book, it might be five every day. And the rest of the time, I am um, managing the business, you know, whether it's, you know, getting books, working with my formatter or working with my assistant to do marketing or getting on Facebook with my reader group, which I do constantly because I'm mm -hmm. in constant contact with those people. They're amazing, amazing women. Um, working with my cover artist, designing a cover. And, and there is a lot of work. And I, and I really, really it's so blended into my every day. I don't think about it. I don't wake up and, you know, I, I and, and think, Oh, I have to do four hours of marketing, two hours of editing and three. No, it's just all one big day, but I yes. did see it firsthand. Um, when, when breezy, when the breezy Bennett brand launched, my daughter, um, decided to start writing. Um, I have taught her the process of, of, and I can see, you know, there's, and she was making lists. She's like, okay, so now I have to upload it. And then I have, oh, we have to make sure that the cover is in and we have to contact Amazon. We have to do, and, and she went all Kindle unlimited straight out of the gate because she's a millennial and they all believe in subscription programs for all entertainment. Yeah. Um, so I got to see just how much work it is, but, and, 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 and I obviously helped her. And I obviously gave her access to my people who, who, who already, you know, knew the job. So I did make things, it, it, the learning curve for her was lower than it would be for someone else right out of the gate. Right. But she's, she's on her own hundred percent. She does it all now. I mean, she might say, I have a question on something that has to be done, but she is doing, you know, has her own website designer, has, has works with the cover artist, works with the formatter, works with the, you know, all, all of the, the copy editor, all of the people along the way. So I know that in a year it can be done. Yeah. She, and she has worked full time. A lot of people have to have a day job, which makes it a little bit more fr frustrating, but she came, she, she saved up her money and she lived at home for a year, lived here with us and was able to launch this career in a year. So that I know as a, as my little Guinea pig, I know it can work. She's <laughs> right. a phenomenal writer. I must say so myself. And <laughs> nice. That helped from right out of the gate. She had a really, really strong voice that went straight to her sort of romantic comedy young market. So I know that it, I know that it can be done. Is it uh, is it a lot of work? Well, if it's a full time job, it's work. You know, right. It's not a hobby. It's 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 probably not easy to do as a hobby. And people who say I only want to write, I don't want to do anything else. It might not be for them because there are a lot of other aspects to the job of being an indie publisher that yeah. are not just writing. But I have a marketing background. Um, I, before I was an author, I was yeah. 15 years in public relations and I was with the largest public relations firm in the world as a senior vice president. So I do understand writing copy and I do understand branding. Uh, I don't like it. I'm not, I'm not, I'm, you know, I don't enjoy creating ads on Facebook, but I do it. I don't right. give that over to anyone else because I know my voice. I, I know what I want a reader to see and hear when they read an ad that I've written, the copy of an ad. 
but um, it's a it's a great job. I mean, if you're will if you want to do if you want to work, I mean, if you if you're willing to put in the work, it can be it's very lucrative and it's very um, it's fun. And you know, work from home, and you write your books. And if if you're if if you want to be a writer, it's just a tremendous way to succeed. Yeah, yeah. And I think that, um, like you were saying, one of the things that uh, Breezy is the first name. Uh, Breezy Bennett. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Is her I, is her pen name. I, I I thought maybe. Um, I, I have to go look it up because I'm totally into romantic comedy. It's my oh, you'll love her book. She has sports romance. There is sports <gasps> romance comedy all football team and there's a six book series it's in KU go get it first book is wild ride <laughs> okay wild ride everybody <laughs> yeah it's the South Crazy Florida riders <laughs> yeah, no it and it was so much fun to I'll just hold your thought for one second it was so much fun to go from conception to book six I mean we literally sat uh, spring break of her senior year we brainstormed you know we sat down together and she goes well I love sports she loves sports I love football and I what and we we came up with the name together and she 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 you know broke, did broke down the storylines and planned out the whole series and and started writing it and that was the scariest part of all because I thought oh I've heard what her if? writing she was you know four so now she's a young adult and a, a young woman and I uh what if I hate it right so um <laughs> I said, she, she came down one morning and she said, well, I thought the best way to start is to start. So I, you know, she hands me her laptop. She goes, I wrote a chapter. I'm like, oh, okay. So I sat down and I was at the bottom of page two. And I said, you got it. You got Aww. it. You have a voice. I've laughed three times out loud. You have personality in your voice and you have humor and you have heart and she has never she has just done a phenomenal job so that's where awesome. you have to start yeah authors you have to start with a voice and I don't think you can teach that I really don't I don't think you can learn it you either you have a writing voice that is going to appeal to people or you can hone the one you have but you I, I don't think you you can come up with a new voice you kind of speak and write who you are yeah, I think that um, I think that it's definitely something that the more you write, the more you're going to find that it's it just gets better, and oh, and I yes. think that you can go from somebody saying that you don't have a voice to somebody saying, oh, I think now you have a voice, but all you've been doing is just making what is inside of you better and making it work on the page in a way that maybe it didn't earlier. Absolutely, and and I always tell people to read a lot because. Yeah reading other authors will help you hone your voice because you're going to see what you, what appeals to you and what appeals to you is where you're, you're, that's sort of the sweet spot for, for how you, you probably are going to write. Yeah. Okay. So, so we need to, we need to actually spend time writing, <laughs> make sure that we are uh, understanding of how stories are made, uh, how the genre expectations are and the genre that we want. Um, spend enough time actually writing that we can create a really good book. Um, go yes. ahead. Go ahead. No, no, go ahead. <laughs> and so um, some people might be thinking, okay, great. I can do that or I am doing it. Um, but now that I'm thinking about going this indie path, um, I don't know anybody. I wouldn't know who to hire. I don't know all the steps. 
And I always encourage people to just reach out. And I know it's hard because a lot of people in this business um, tend towards the more um, uh, in um, introverted, introverted, thank you, <laughs> uh, side of the personality. Sure. But um, the nice thing is, is that because a lot of us can't really go anywhere or do anything, you can just reach out on social media and Zoom and not be expected really <laughs> to show up and try to be interesting yeah. in front of strangers. There is no shortage of, of of information and education if you want to start as an indie writer. There are multiple Facebook groups that yeah. are uh, that are that are for new writers. Um, there are many that are for more experienced writers. There are um, blog posts and websites and uh, places. Places you you have to dig. You you I mean you I don't even know where where I would, would necessarily where I would send someone. But you know if you're writing romance, you can get connected with RWA, the Romance Writers of America, uh, Nink the the Novelist Inc. You already have to have uh, multiple books published before you can join. But there is a wealth of information on how to do this. There are books. Uh, David Goffrin, Let's Get Digital. Let's Get Digital. If you if you want to come out of the gate and know how to, to write indie. There is another one too, um, written by, by four or five authors together. It's, I'm sorry, it's just not, um, I think Liliana Hart is one of them. Yes. There's an, I'm pretty sure it's on my bookshelf behind me. <laughs> I just can't. Yes. It's, it's, it, it does oh, spell out step yes. by step. I mean, yes. just get on Amazon and Google, you know, India, you can find it. You, you, yeah. if you, you spend, you know, pour a glass of wine, sit down on your computer, you can find this information. It's there. Right. Um, so, and, and, and you can learn this, the process, you know, do you hold back, write three books and then release them all one right after the other in a month? I strongly recommend people do that. Writing a series, but the whole process of indie publishing, it doesn't have to be daunting. There are just so many uh, resources online and in person. And it doesn't, you know, if you, if, you, if you love an indie author and you've read his or her work, write to them. I mean, I must field questions like that multiple times a week, you know, and I just say, here's what I would recommend you do. You know, I happen to be the kind of person that will write back um, to, you know, not all authors will do that, but, but I yeah. will. Um, there's just so much. So if, if you're hitting a brick wall with New York, and you're, you just, it seems like a mountain that you'll never climb and you want the world to get your, your, you believe you have books that are, could appeal to a lot of readers. Don't, don't let them be the gatekeeper. You know, the reader is the gatekeeper. Yeah, definitely. And also, um, I was just thinking a lot of writers, uh, traditionally, uh, published and indie published and hybrid will have sections on their website. That is a tab that says for writers or something like that. And a lot of times you can find a ton of free and very helpful information. Oh yeah. It's definitely those. out there. Uh, absolutely. And, and you, you need to, you need to go look for it. But I, I think it, it it's just such a viable and respected option. There is no more stigma of self-publishing. I don't, you know, I, I, I mean, if someone says to me, oh, well, she mustn't be very, a very good writer because she self-published, I'll just say, you know, read a book, read, see my 10 reader nominations. I, you know, yeah. I, I, I would hold my book up quality wise to anything out of New York. And I would also say that probably 80% of my readers have no idea I'm 
independently published. Right. They just, they have, they have no clue. I, I get email all the time says, tell your publisher, or I'm so glad your publisher. And you know, I, they just don't understand the, the, the nuances of the industry and who would expect them to. Right. Um, they, if the book has a quality feel to it, you know, if it, if it, the cover is professional, I mean, yes, you can go on Amazon and see some cringe worthy covers. Um, don't do that. <laughs> don't right. do beautiful covers. I shoot my own covers. I mean, I take a photographer, but that's because I use rescue dogs on the covers on my covers. And then I donate, donate a portion of proceeds to the place where I shoot the covers, but that's just kind of my thing. I just yeah. love dogs. Um, that, but you know, do, do be smart and, and, and read and look at what's happening in the industry, but don't feel like there's a stigma attached to self-publishing because there is no stigma attached to self-publishing. And the people who do say something, and I've had some people say something to me as early as just a couple of months ago. And I'm think, and I just smile and I'm just like, you have no idea what is going on in another part of, you know, the universe over here. Like, what do you mean? um, Yeah. Somebody, somebody saying something, well, you know, you're, you're never going to make a living writing. So, and then finish the (laughs) sentence. And I'm just like, (laughs) yeah, yeah. okay, this isn't the time and place for me to have a, a, a learning discussion with you where I, where I teach you about what's going on, but I just kind of go, okay, well, th- there is, but that's not what we're talking about right now. And, the, and uh, you know, it's a private thing. I don't care what people think about, you know, income, you know, it's yeah. just, it's a, it, every, and, and as I said, everyone measures success differently. You know, some, right. for some people success is a six figure income for some people success is a book in your hand for some people success is a, is a, a 40 book series. Um, it, it, it's all, it, it, it's, everyone is different. And uh, there's just, there are lots of roads to success. And I just really making the choice to go indie was for me, the best thing I ever did as a writer. It is, you know, people, like I said, people say, well, you were already well known. It was so easy for you. And I just have to tell them that if you went on to my reader site uh, and then looked at, talked to those 3000 people, maybe, maybe 600 of them came with me from, traditional publishing. The rest yeah. are all new readers that I have <laughs> gathered over the years. Right, right. And for me, success is having a book that nobody can tell the difference between. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. But I was just reading a book by somebody, and I can't think of who it was, uh, somebody well-known enough. Um, anyway, and they were saying, I know that you know my covers could be better and this could be better. They were writing nonfiction. Uh, and self-publishing. And they're like, but the thing is, I'm selling a lot of books and I make more than enough money to live on. And and so I'm okay with the level of, in my mind, it, it, I was thinking you're okay with a lower level of professionalism, but I see, I saw his point. He wanted to worry about how much money he was making. And I worry about, I want everything to be like perfectly beautiful and make money. <laughs> I'm in the perfectly beautiful and make money school of thought. Yeah. I, I, I will go back 20 times on a cover. I, yeah. I, I will, you know, I just, it just, it has to be professional. It has to be good, but some people don't have an eye for it yeah. and they, you know, that's when you do need to bring in 
other others and bring in help. And there are good editors, really good editors that that are that you can hire, and it doesn't have to cost a fortune. Do not put a book out that hasn't been professionally copy edited. That is where I I probably spend more money on editing by far than covers and i have good covers and i i mean i do hire a photographer and i hire models and i bring the dogs and we travel to the dog refuge and my covers are there i love my covers but i do not scrimp on editing so i i I think it's very, very important that people, you know, you do, you do want to save your money to go. You don't want, this is not free. You don't walk out the door and put a book up on Amazon and start making money and it's never been edited and it doesn't have a professional cover. People yeah. do it. Uh, I don't, I probably couldn't think of anyone who's succeeded wildly doing that, but it is, um, it, it, and I'm not saying pay for book doctors. I'm not saying pay to get ripped off. you got to do your homework and get good editors that you trust. They're hard, really, really good editors can be hard to find. I know my editor hasn't taken a new client in two years. <laughs> yeah. And, and when I started with her, I was her like second client. And now she has some big, big authors who put out three books a year and that's it. She's got enough work on the table. Right. But I, I, I just, I think it's a really viable option to publishing uh, for someone who's very, very serious about a career. Yeah. I don't, I mean, I think if you want to write your, your grandfather's, you know, life history and put it up for the family to read, that's, that is one form of self-publishing. And that's not what I'm talking about. Right. I'm talking about readers who pick up a book of mine and have absolutely no idea it didn't come out of New York publishing. Yeah. Speaking of picking up a book of yours. Please do. I, <laughs> I had been like trying so hard to finish the book before today. I'm I'm 62% of the way there. And um, can I tell you where I'm at without giving it away? You're um, reading the book that comes out tomorrow. Yes. Man's best friend. Yeah. Man's okay. best friend. So why don't you tell us um, uh, what's the, what's the storyline? Where does it fit? It's um, part of a series that was actually an offsuit of another series. Why don't you yes. start up there? I, I, I write a, I started with a series called the dog father. It's about a big family that runs a canine rescue and training center in North Carolina. And the widowed father is determined to have all six of his kids get married. So he does some pulling of the strings like the, like the, the godfather did. He's, and, and of course, it's, there's a dog at the center of every story and every story is kind of a match that was made by him. The, the ninth book in that series was uh, Old Dog, New Tricks. I actually have his book right here. It's a great example of that silver uh, fox I was telling you about. Right. Yeah, see, I, I shot that right at Alico um, Animal Refuge and um, he's a, he was a local school teacher, a principal at the school and the dog is, a, is one of their... Um, their rescues. Aww. So I love that. It's dear to me. Um, yeah. So he's the ninth book in that series. And it was so popular. My, um, you know, all six kids and a couple novellas and his story is done. So I spun off his mother, who's a very popular little Irish old lady and um, another Greek grandmother who comes into the story through marriage. And they became the dog mothers with their little dachshunds. And they, between them have six uh, grandchildren. So this is, so every book is a romance. It's a very emotional, um, family-oriented stories. There's a dog in every story, deeply embedded in every story, not just, mm -hmm. you know, one of the characters has a dog. And 
um, the, the stories are are um, very you know they're romances, but they're they're family. They're they're a lot about the family. So the dog mothers is spun off now. This is book six. I guarantee you that every book stands alone. I'm, I'm sure you have noticed if you've never you didn't read the first nine and you didn't read the first five. And you're not lost. Right. No, in fact, when you held up that cover and said that about book nine there, uh, what's that it's one Daniel. called? Old Dog New Tricks. I was like, is that Uncle Daniel? Yes, that's Uncle Daniel. Yeah. And Rusty. Yes. And Rusty. <laughs> yes. And this is Hush Puppy. That's uh, part of the Dog Mother series. This is the book before the one you're reading. This is ah. John Santorini. Ah, and, um, the twin. Yes. See, no, you are reading it. And if you go way back, <laughs> these are some of the earlier books. This is... Um, Bad to the Bone is a really popular cover. Um, nice. This is uh, Molly's story, Molly Kilcannon. Um, so you're getting to know her. You're actually, her little baby is in this, is in the yeah. book. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, some books are uh, really easy and fun, and that's rare. I call those a gimme. This was a gimme. Hush Puppy, I wrote in the height of the pandemic. I, you know, waking up in the middle of the night, worried about my family, worried about my husband, worried about my, my, myself and the world and, you know, what's going to happen. And I escaped into my studio and I wrote the most, the lightest, brightest, kind of happiest book I have ever written. And I just, I feel like it was really a COVID escape and readers yeah. noticed it. They're like, this book was so much fun. <laughs> and then after that, it was easy. It poured out of me, that book. Then I started Man's Best Friend which has a very sort of heavy backstory of, you know, tragedy that kind of kicks off the whole book. And it wasn't easy. And it, it wasn't, I mean, it's fun. It was a, it's fun story. There's de definitely humor in it, a lot of family stuff, but it was a heavier subject matter. And it was a very hard book to write. And I cried a lot and I wrote a hundred pages and I woke up in the middle of the night with, and I thought, had this big fight with gut, in, my gut instinct. It said, you're writing the wrong book. And maybe that's years of knowing what's going to work on the page. But when my gut tells me I'm writing the wrong book and I went back and I literally tore it down to page one and wow. started over again. And, you know, people think you don't have to do that. If you're self-publishing, you can do whatever you want. No, I knew I was writing the wrong book. And then I started writing the book that you're reading now. And it was still it's still a challenge. It was a creative challenge, an emotional challenge. I cried a lot writing the book, but I'm really proud of the, of the finished product, which is the story of, of a man who, you know, suffered a tremendous loss and comes back and connects with his childhood best friend and um, finds love again. And that's always what my stories are about, sort of healing and redemption and hope and family and the power of a big family behind you. And that's that's comes out tomorrow and I'm very excited about it. Yay. And congratulations. Yeah, very good. Yes, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Super excited. Man's best friend. I highly yes. recommend it. Yes, so do I. <laughs> oh, thank you. Now, while we're on this, I also wanted to just ask you, because this is a, a topic that I think a lot of people um, you, you hear writers saying, if only I had thought about that on book one and other people are like, I totally figured it all out, you know, two years ago on book one. This is a pretty ginormous family. So tell us what were your thoughts? I mean, you already had experience. You weren't a first time author. You probably knew not, you were going to write a series, but you know, I'm not, this is, this is not my strong suit. I, I suffer about, I have, I suffer with my series because I don't, 
I don't plot. I don't have a, I don't know what all the books are going to be. I had some rough ideas. Um, I try not to write myself into a corner. I hate when I have to go back and say, oh, did I really say that town was two hours away five <laughs> books ago? I just want them to drive over there in five minutes right now. And I can't, I'm doing that right now. Yeah. Um, I try to seed the characters in each book as appropriate. I don't put, it is such a huge family. I don't put every single character in every single book. I, that personally drives me crazy as a reader. I only use a character who's important to that story. Um, you're reading Man's Best Friend. Molly has a pretty high role in that because I knew this, the heroine had known Molly in another life. The, the book before, it's a completely different relationship with his cousins. I try to, I try to keep it reasonable for a, a new reader. I want you as a new reader to come in and not get lost. I, I try to seed the characters so that the series interest is maintained, but I don't paint myself into a corner. And it's really, really hard yeah. because you can say one thing that you have to live with year. I mean, I, I said a few things about Declan and Evie because they had a long history and I had to work my story around those existing moments. Like when he saw her in the past. Okay. Go ahead. You have a question? No. So, um, so in the previous mm. books, of course, you know, he's one of the brothers. He would have been mentioned at least on, uh, Oh, he's been in all, all the, yes. Oh, okay. a lot of the books. Yeah. And so, yeah. so all the things that you had been saying about him, now you had to make sure that you didn't get any of it wrong and you had right. to stay within what you, it had to stay within his character and within, and I, and that was a big challenge for me in this book. And um, the next one is, um, well, next, um, the next up is the Christmas. I always do a Christmas novella oh. and they always have ridiculously cute titles. We've had Bark the Herald Angels sing and we've had <laughs> Santa Claus is coming to town. We've had Dachshund through the snow and now I'm writing Felice Naughty Dog. Oh, that's <laughs> awesome. <laughs> I wish I had a cover for you. It's so cute. Um, and I always do a, a like a 150 page Christmas novella that features uh, the family or the grandmothers. Um, and, and it's really a gift to my readers because that, I, that it, it, those are kind of helpful to know the series, but it's really a gift to them to thank them for, you know, buying these books book after book after book and they and they that now it's become a thing it's like what's the christmas novella gonna be so um it's been yeah. fun so so it's it's just you know and i'm I'm learning i'm still learning I'm still learning about the craft i'm still learning about writing and series like you say i i i swear every time i start a series i'm gonna know every character and i for me a good deal of the magic happens at the keyboard yeah. i know what has to happen I do not know how it's going to happen. And I, I will literally write in my outline, you know, chaos ensues. I don't know what the chaos is going to be until I get there and I start writing it. And I think that has maintained a lot of the fun in the process. You know, yes, there's marketing yeah. and yes, there's publishing work, but it's still fun to take people from thin air and give them emotions and a life and a happy ending. That's still what I love to do. Totally. I totally get that. Um, Oh, I'm trying not to like have these long discussions with you that I'm like, okay, the reader or listeners probably don't care as much about all the things that I'm about ready to say. Um, no. If only we had a longer coffee. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. But okay, so uh, so trying to direct my thoughts. Um, so did you 
at the beginning of dog father decide how many kids that there would be and then how many potential books that you could make i did i did not expect it to be as popular i thought i i was very very uh well quite pleasantly surprised by how popular the series got um so i had planned a six book series now i had six kids I, i i thought that would be a nice good place. So I'm basically on book 15 now or something. Um, no, I had, and then almost immediately people started asking for Daniel's story almost immediately. Wow. Um, which really surprised me, but then I shouldn't have surprised me because I know they love the silver Fox. Um, I mean, they're asking for grandma Finney's story. Okay. <laughs> She's 87. So, <laughs> yeah, no, almost immediately I knew that I would have at least seven because, um, Daniel would have to have a book. And, um, and then I came up with the idea for Daniel's book, which, which was like, well, of course he marries someone who has a big family and then I can have more kids. Cause I got to figure out ways to spread the, spread the family out here because yeah. people want more. So, so the first series ended up being nine, which was the seven stories and two Christmas novellas. And then we brought the two dog mothers together and I wasn't sure how that was going to go. Uh, you know, it's one of those things where uh, perfect example in, in indie publishing, I, I could take the risk. I didn't have to have a room full of people in New York decide that my numbers m- merited a spinoff series because that's their decision. And it's based on what booksellers are buying. I just knew that my readers did not want this series to end. Yeah. And I knew Grandma Finney is a super popular character. And then I had, inter- I had mentioned on the page, never, she had never, never planned to have this person as a character. Uh, the Greek mother-in-law, ex-mother-in-law, of the woman Daniel ended up marrying and her big Greek family. And then I thought, oh, I could bring Yaya in. And she, so, I, just the five things I've said about her on the page are so different from Grandma Finney. I have these two old ladies, one's Greek and rough around the edges and sharp tongued. And one is uh, the sweetest little Irish lady you ever want to meet who will, you know, embroider you a pillow. And they end up being best friends and matchmakers. And that series, The Dog Mothers, has just you know, people like, I must get an email a day. Please tell me this book series isn't going to end. I'm like, well, we're going to run out of dog grandchildren. We're going to run out of grandchildren. Yeah. Um, but I have an idea. <laughs> I have an idea. Um, nice. I, and I, I'm going to run it till I'm going to run its course. I, you know, and also as a writer, you know, when I hit the series number that I have planned for the dog mothers will bring me to a total of 21 dog books. Do I want to write more after that? I don't know. I have to please myself too. Right. Um, there, there are um, limitations in a series that you have to live, you know, expectations and limitations like there are in a genre, there are in a series. I can't all of a sudden do a big, dark, romantic suspense. That's not what readers expect from these books. Yeah. Um, I can't leave out the matchmaking element. I can't leave out the dog. Um, and as a writer who's written 60 books, I, I like to try other things. I, I love chick lit. I love women's fiction. I love mysteries so um and i can only do probably four books and three books in a novella a year maybe four if i really pushed it and one is shorter Mm because i sometimes do a a series with other authors we do a completely unrelated series of seven brides but i i I don't have more than that in me to write 
I, I mean, I know there are authors who put out seven, eight, nine, ten books a year. I'm not one of them. I'm, I do too much revision. So I have to know my limitations. Yeah. Yes. Knowing your limitations and understanding that it's okay to take risks. That's the other thing you had mentioned that I wanted to just kind of um, bring it back around to listeners' attention one more time. Totally. This is the place to take risks and to understand that some of them will pan out and some of them won't, and that's fine. Then you just do the next thing. Absolutely. There's no reason, you know, if, it, if a series doesn't take off, you just move on, move on to the next. And I, you know, I made a mistake in the, in the beginning of my career, I broke, I was writing this Barefoot Bay series, which is essentially a, an island setting off the Gulf of coast of Florida. And I kept doing mini series within the series. So there were five romantic suspense series. There were three Silver Fox books. There were three uh, wedding planners, sort of women's fiction. So there were multiple genres within this one setting, which I thought was just genius. It, it, it was fine. Those books still sell really well. They all, have, but basically they're five separate series all set in the same place. So right. readers, and that, by the time I finished that series, I knew that readers did not want me to jump around from subgenre to subgenre within a series. And that was, that was, was it a mistake? I wouldn't say it was a mistake. They didn't, those books didn't tank by any means, but I could have done it. I could have been a lot smarter. And so I was a lot smarter in my next series. You don't get that um, opportunity freedom, when, yeah. when, you, when you, you don't have that freedom when someone else is making the decision as to whether or not to give you another contract. They just say, no, nah, that didn't work. And they don't care because they've got 60 other authors in their stable. And for me, it's like, well, yeah, but now you're on my career. Um, <laughs> yeah. So again, that was just, you know, I learned and you do, you do make mistakes along the way. There have been covers that I had to have to go back and say, mm, I can't look at that anymore. Um, yeah. But never, but I, I never want to make mistakes in the quality of the writing. That's, that's yes. really, that's, that's my line in the sand. I just got to have a great book. I won't put it out until I know it's a great book. I think that that is a line in the sand and a rock to stand on. Like this is the way that we should finish the interview. <laughs> okay. Just make sure you have a quality book that people will yes. want to read. Yes. It did, regardless of the, of the path you take to publication, the book has to be the best book that you have in you. And that is not the place to cut corners. You know, definitely get a beta reader, have a critique, hire an editor. Don't trust just yourself on on the quality of the book obviously listen to your gut instinct but the quality if the quality is there your books will sell no matter how they get to the market excellent i love it rocky you are just so encouraging to people i'm so glad that you're here <laughs> I, I, I really love what i do now so i love i love sharing it thank you oh, thank you for having awesome. me yay and um <clears throat> gonna have to have breezy on the show also <laughs> oh, breezy. she's a little more introverted than i am she's one of those people that are like eh, i don't think i want to do an interview but um she, i could do it with her we could do it oh, sometime there you go together. oh she's you know what I am already thinking of, of, I'm already thinking of ideas that we could do for a show for the two of you. Okay, so we'll talk. That's right. All right. So listen, um, lots of really interesting books and in different subgenres. If you're not a romantic, um, romantic and I love dogs kind of person, like there's a lot of other things, but the book that's coming out of tomorrow is romantic and with dogs. So where can people find you, all of your books, 
Well, the best place to go is uh, RoxanneStClair.com. You know, my website, it's all the book. There's a, there's every single book I've ever written. It's in the backlist and each series is broken down by series. There are printable lists. So RoxanneStClair.com. If you are already a reader and want to join my reader group on Facebook, just search Roxanne St. Clair Reader Group and um, come and be a dog mother is what we call ourselves. We talk nice. about, we talk tales and tales, A-I-L and A-L-E, uh, a lot of dogs, a lot of books. And so that's really where I spend most of my time on the internet. I'm not, you know, I'm not a crazy social media person, but that's, the, those are really the best places to find me. Come to um, my website. My books are at all retailers, obviously, and um, always best to just get on Amazon, type in my name, and you'll see my entire canon of work. Awesome. Awesome. Thank, Thank you, you so much for being on the well, show. Really thanks enjoyable. for having me. I really, really, really enjoyed it. And thank you for encouraging writers. You know, I just love to see people find their dream and, and find a way, a path to publication. Mm -hmm.